I was reading of an imaginary conversation between a man and God. As the man stood before the gates, having just died and traveled to these gates. And the conversation was opened by God. He asked the man to tell him about his life as a human being. And the man, wanting to make an impression on God, the man said, well, sir, I believe that I have lived a very good life. I never hurt a soul all the days of my life. But the man has the ability to realize that that hasn't really impressed God very much. And so he said, and, and I was a member of the church, and I did go to this church occasionally, usually when it was communion. You don't qualify for that. And he said, there was a time when I was on one of the church committees and I was there for a year or two. Didn't do very much, but I was on it. And thinking that maybe he had indeed now pleased God a little bit, he added with a, a, a touch of pride in his voice. And of course, you will know that I gave Mrs. Brown next door all the vegetables from our garden, at least all the ones that I and my family couldn't eat. And there was a silence. And the silence grew for a minute or two until God looked at the man and said to him, Mr. So-and-so, why didn't you refuse when you were at work? Why didn't you refuse not to take part in the unethical and illegal things that were happening in your employment? Oh, I can easily answer that, said the man. I was frightened I would get sacked if I spoke about it. And said God to the man, why was it that in life you did nothing to help the children who were hungry, the grown-ups who were in dire need? Why did you ignore all the needs of other people? Oh, and that's easily answered too, said the man. I didn't want my family to go short. And I didn't want myself to go short as well. Another pause. And God said, well, let me ask you this question. Why did you not offer to help your best friends when you knew that their marriage was in trouble? Oh, I didn't want to interfere because they might have thought I was interfering. And I wouldn't have wanted them to feel that. My man said, God, I've listened to you very carefully. 
And it seems to me that in your response to my questions, you've made clear that a whole lot of your life has spent in fear and full of anxiety. I don't think you have lived the kind of life that I would have wanted you to have. An imaginary conversation. But it highlights, highlights, and if you listen carefully to the reading, the story, the conversation highlights how often fear is the most prominent factor in anyone's life. How fear is a damaging, negative feeling. And unless we get rid of it, we will not live the way that God intended his people to live. Please, please don't underestimate the damage that is done to our lives through anxiety, through worry, through fear. Fear, says the Bible, keeps you from loving as you ought. Fear is the direct opposite of love. And the Bible states that perfect love casts out fear. And it's equally true that fear weakens and destroys love. You see, fear rivets one's attention on oneself. And when I am focused on me and my concerns, then I am unable to take care of other people and look to their needs and to listen to their fears. Fears keep us on the defensive and it forces us to build walls to protect ourselves in anticipation of an attack from life, wherever that may come from. During the Second World War, there were 1,500 people held in uh, an imprisonment camp in Japan. 300 of the 1,500 were Americans, and the other 1,200 had other nationalities from all over the world. Into the war, a year or two, there came from the American Red Cross a parcel for 21 people, 2,100 people. And the camp commandant said that he would divide these necessities and goodies that had come from the Red Cross in America. And the Americans were really very angry and they protested. They reckoned that each of their 300 should have got seven, and the other nationalities 
should have got none at all. And the camp commandant, to his absolute shame, divided the goods wholly to the Americans and the other nationalities got none. Why? Because the commandant was frightened that he would lose his position and his rank and his esteem of others if he did not give in to the Americans who might otherwise cause a riot. Giving in to fear, being over-anxious, being over-worried, changes good people's behavior in such a way that they become almost quite different people. Again and again, the Bible, and in particular Jesus, tells us to live loving one another. And John, in his first letter, makes clear that an important function of God's love is to drive out the fears which too often restrict our living. Since God is a God of love and Jesus is of God, John in his gospel makes clear that as humans we can live our lives through Jesus. Jesus who in his life constantly challenged his own fears. And Jesus gives us a model of how God would have us break free from fear, break free from that which would cripple us and allow us to enjoy the fullness of life. And Jesus, in his ministry, his life, showed us two steps to overcome our fear. The first is not an option. We must face up to what it is that worries us, what it is that makes us fearful. We must acknowledge why we are frightened. And then we come to the second step, which is fairly straightforward and not surprising. If you are in fear or are anxious, then go to God in prayer. Have a conversation with God and listen to what he says to you or see what he does in the world. You think of the 23rd Psalm. Thou art with me, even in the shadow of the valley of death. You need not be afraid. God is there for each of us. I go to another school, to another primary school, to year one, and very early on in the term, the teacher asks the class, do you know, boys and girls, where God is? And up shot a forest of hands. And one young lady didn't wait to be asked. She said, God is in heaven. 
Well done, said the teacher. You're right, God is in heaven. Oh, no, he's not, shouted a little boy. Oh, no, he's not. What do you mean, Jimmy? Why do you not think God is in heaven? Because he's in the bathroom. And the teacher looked at him. He's in the bathroom. Aye, my dad gets up every morning and says, by God, are you still in there? I would wager that that person in the bathroom was a lady. I shall now, I shall now run to the door to escape. God is in the bathroom, but he's also in the kitchen and the living room. God is in our workplace. He is in those places where we enjoy our leisure and recreation. God's presence is with us all the time. Speak to him. Listen to him. Accept what he would give to you. For Jesus promised that God would send his Holy Spirit and that spirit would enable us to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. Jesus showed us how one could live loving God, knowing that God loved him. And there is Jesus' own present, his own gift. My peace I give unto you. Do not be worried and upset do not be afraid. And when you think of all of that, see in your mind's eye a cross and see it as it is now. It's empty. And know that Christ is risen and would be with you in all the power of God's Spirit.